We are continuing in the one another series. Uh, I want to remind you that these are commandments. They are not suggestions. Over and over and over again, especially in the New Testament, we are told to one another, one another. And this is what we do. It's not dependent on what the other person does. They might not receive it. They might not like it. It's, it's what we do. God says, you do this to one another. And, and, and really, the one another uh, scriptures are really geared to help us do community as Christians. So what do we need in community? Well, somebody has written this. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need is, and still is, forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tim spoke about time. He spoke about chronos time and kairos time. Chronos time is chronological time. That's where we get the word chronological from. Time that starts and ends. It's a, it's a linear line, a linear time. Kairos time is that moment of opportunity. It's something that happens along the chronological time. And there's times when the kairos time comes and goes. One of the best examples uh, used in scriptures, Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of kairos, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. When, when that time was just right, Christ came. And there's times in our lives when God orchestrates things, when God causes people to cross our path, when God sets things up for a kairos moment that if we don't take, we miss it. This morning, we're talking about forgiveness. And so many times in our lives, the opportunity to receive forgiveness, the opportunity to give forgiveness is a kairos moment. That doesn't necessarily mean that we'll never have that, that opportunity again, but that time, that best opportunity, when it was just right, sometimes God says, forgive or repent. I want to share a little story about Cory Ten Boom. Her and her family hid Jews during the Nazi occupation of Holland. They were, they were not Jews, but they hid Jews. And when they were found out, they were sent to concentration camps. Cory and her sister Betsy went to Ravensbrück in northern Germany, concentration camp. Betsy died at that concentration camp. Cory talks in a book about nursing Betsy, and she just wasted away more and more. And Corey describes horrific things that had happened in that concentration camp. After the war, Corey started a ministry to people who had been devastated by the war. And she became a speaker, and she was invited to speak at a group in Munich, Germany. 1947, two years after the war ended, 
when Munich was still lying in ruins. And after her talk, people were packing up, people were leaving, and, and she saw a man making his way towards her, and she recognized him immediately. It was one of the guards from Ravensbrück concentration camp. And, and there were those emotions. <laughs> he walked towards her, and she recognized him. He didn't recognize her. And he put his hand out, and he said, Good speech, Fräulein. And she fumbled in a pocketbook, not wanting to respond. And then he went on, he said, I'm so glad that you spoke about the forgiveness of sin and that God takes our sins and drops it in the deepest ocean. Because after the war, I became a Christian and God has forgiven me of the horrible things I did, but I would like to hear it from you, Fräulein. He's still holding out his hand and Corey's fumbling in a pocketbook. Kairos moment. This morning we're going to talk about forgiveness. Let us pray. Father, help us. This is a tough subject, Lord. It's a tough subject. And I feel the weight of it. So I pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sight our rock, our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please watch this video. It seems so easy. Someone says, I'm sorry, and you say, I forgive you. But the hard part is meaning it. The harder part is living each day not dwelling on the way you were wronged, and trying to forget it. Forgiveness is hard. Even after you think you've forgiven someone, the bile and bitterness you feel toward what they've done can gnaw at you and make you angry. Every time you see their face, the highlight reel of how they hurt you will play in your head, and the wounds can feel fresh in that instant. Forgiving someone, moving on with your life, and accepting what has happened is one of the most difficult things on earth. Forgiveness requires generosity and understanding in such large quantities, it makes sense that God is the best role model for it. And since he did it for us, the least we can do is to do it for others. A secular humanist by the name of Morganita Lasky, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her first name right, Morganita Lasky, was a well-known author, a journalist, but she was probably best known for being a secular humanist. Secular humanists do not believe in anything spiritual. What you see, what you can touch is all there is. There's nothing else. There's no life after death. There's nothing that's immaterial. God doesn't exist. Shortly before she died in 1988, she was being interviewed on TV and she made the startling admission. She said, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. How sad. We would want to tell Ms. Lasky, you do. You do have somebody to forgive you. A lady asked to come see me about six months ago. 
So we met in my office. She said, I've been carrying something around now for about a year, something that you said that, which offended me, and I had no clue what she was talking about. She said, but I need to let it go, and I want you to know that I forgive you. She didn't come to me to f ask for my forgiveness because I needed it. She came to ask forgiveness and to forgive me because she needed it. Right? Forgive one another. Does that make it easy? <laughs> Noah Webster says, Forgive is to pardon, to overlook an offense, to treat the offender as not guilty, to forgive the offense, to send it away. I like that. <laughs> to send it away. There are so many rich examples of forgiveness in history. I'm going to share several short ones. April 9th, 1865. Some of you history uh, specialists will recognize that date. April 9th, 1965, after the American Civil War. What a brutal war it was. Americans fighting Americans, Christians fighting Christians, brothers fighting brothers. General Lee and General Grant meet in Virginia, and Lee asks for terms of surrender. There weren't any. It's not, they hadn't prepared any documents. They took out a little piece of paper and wrote down some things, and essentially what it boiled down to was, just go home. It's over. Shortly after that, Grant sent out this order. The war is over. The rebels are our countrymen again, and the best sign of rejoicing after the victory will be to abstain from all demonstrations in the field. Don't kick your brother down when he's down. I mean, don't kick your brother when he's, when he's down. Don't gloat over your enemy. Grant didn't say that that's what I'm adding. Don't take pleasure in someone else's pain. Not long after the war, Lee was, was visiting a lady in Kentucky, and she was so upset about the war and the damage that had done, and she took him into her garden, and there was this tree that used to be huge and beautiful, and it had been shattered and torn apart through the wall, and she was bitter. And Lee said to her, ma'am, cut it down and forget it. 1945, the River Kwai is in Thailand. The Japanese were occupying Thailand, and they set up a concentration camp, and it was a brutal concentration camp. Many Americans were in that concentration camp. Stories, the bridge over the River Kwai is famous. When the Allies liberated that camp, the inmates were virtual walking skeletons. And as they lined the road, when the Japanese now prisoners marched out, there was no cheering. There was no yelling slurs at them. In fact, one person was heard saying, no more. We need to forgive. 1984, Bruce Goodrich was being initiated into the cadet corps at Texas A&M. It was his dream, his passion, to not only go to Texas A&M, but to be part of the cadet corps. So he had to be initiated, and it was very hard, and he had to do all kinds of exercises and run, and, and, and it went on and on and on, eventually Bruce collapsed and died. His father wrote this note. I would like to take this opportunity to express the appreciation of my family for the great outpouring of concern and sympathy from Texas A&M University and the college community over the loss of our son, Bruce. 
We were deeply touched by the tribute paid to him. We were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did not go unnoticed during his brief time on campus. I hope it will be some comfort to know that we harbor no ill will in the matter. When the question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one answer will be so that many will consider where they will spend eternity. Powerful. Wouldn't it be nice if we could say that all tragedies and all family feuds ended on such positive notes? Elizabeth Barrett and Robert Browning were authors in the 19th century. Some of their writings are considered the best in English literature. Elizabeth Barrett uh, had an accident when she was a kid, left her severely physically handicapped. Her father was domineering. He didn't approve of a relationship that she had. So her and her fiancé eloped and got married. Before they got married, they exchanged hundreds of letters. Because the family didn't approve of their wedding, they left England and went to Italy where they lived. But almost every week, for years and years and years, Elizabeth wrote her family a letter never receiving a reply. About 10 years later, Elizabeth received a box from her parents' address. And in the box was every single one of her letters. Not a single one was opened. What a tragedy. Shame on them. Because they had a Kairos moment. And they missed it. They missed out on what would have been good. Today, the Barrett Browning letters are prized possessions in libraries around this world. Baylor University in Texas has dozens of them. What a tragedy the family missed. Forgiveness starts, obviously, with God's forgiveness of us. We have all sinned. We seek forgiveness because God offers it to us. And then God erases our sin. He uses whiteout. In fact, He uses something better than whiteout. Because when you use whiteout, you can, you can scrape the whiteout away and it's the problem still there. But when God wipes out our sin and we go back, it's, it's gone. It's gone. Somebody once wrote this, Christ removes the guilt of sin. All sins are forgiven freely. The sinner is by this act of grace forever freed from the guilt and penalty of his sins. This is the peculiar prerogative of God. <laughs> and we say, thank you, Lord. And it is offered to all in the gospel. So what are we sure of? We are sure of God's forgiveness of us. We are sure that our record is wiped clean. And we are sure that the eternal consequences of our sin is dropped. We're clear on that, right? Is that how far the subject of forgiveness goes? No. Because forgiveness doesn't just stop between me and God. God tells us it doesn't just stop between Him and me. In fact, God says, now you go forgive one another. It's not an option. Jesus in His prayer that He taught us to pray, to pray says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What is a debt? It's something that we're owed. It's something that somebody has done against us. It's a trespass. It's a wrong. It's a sin. There are some scenarios that I've just made up that would bring us to that Kairos moment to forgive someone. 
A drunk driver flies through a red light and kills your family. An addict of a father drinks and gambles away the family's savings and college funds. A mother and a wife abandons her young children for what she thinks is true love. A boss relentlessly humiliates you, but you can't walk out because you live month by month and you've got young mouths to feed. For some of you, especially ladies, someone overpowers you, they're stronger than you. Maybe they're a relative, maybe they're a stranger, but they take something from you that you weren't willing to give. And we say there must be punishment. There has to be a consequence, maybe even public shaming. At the very least, there ought to, there ought to be a confession, an, ad, an admission of wrong. William Barclay says, sin must have its punishment or the very structure of life disintegrates. And we concur. How could we manage a school of over 200 students if there was no consequence of sin? Your home would be chaotic if your children had no consequence for their bad choices. Our country would slide into anarchy if there was no consequence for wrongdoing. And this is God's idea from the start. God said there has to be a cost for sin. But whose work is that? Whose, whose job is it to mete out the punishment of sin? Who is it that squeezes a heart so tightly that the sinner cries out, my bones are wasting away? We know that. It's God's work. It's not ours. God decides the consequences of sin. I'm not suggesting that we should never have a role to play in the consequences of someone else's wrong. But what I am saying is that the consequences of sin and the need to forgive are two completely separate issues. Our discussion today is about forgiveness, not consequences. Therefore, there's only two essential elements when it comes to my need to forgive someone else. Number one, a wrong has been committed. And number two, it's an act of my will to forgive. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, right after the Lord's Prayer, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those are sobering words. And then this morning we heard from verse 13, but I want to read verse 12 in Colossians chapter 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. Bearing means to lift up. Lift up one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's really simple, isn't it? But it's so hard. It can be so hard. David Augsburger, in his book, Cherishable, it's a book about love and marriage, but it's so applicable to us this morning. He has four elements of forgiveness. 
Again, this is David Augsburger. He says, first of all, forgiveness is hard, especially in relationships where there's a long history of abuse and struggle and humiliation and distrust. It's hard. He says, second, forgiveness hurts, especially when it must be extended to those who we believe don't deserve it. Did the Nazi God deserve forgiveness from Corey? Forgiveness costs, Augsburger said. It means accepting the wrong done instead of demanding repayment. It means releasing the offender instead of exacting revenge. It means reaching out in love instead of holding on to resentment. Whoever said human forgiveness would be easy? David Augsburger writes this. Either the injured and justifiably angry person vents his feelings on the other in retaliation, or the injured person may choose to accept his angry feelings, bear the burden of them personally, find release through confession and prayer to God, and let the other person free. This is forgiveness. And I will add again, this is hard. I'd like to add two more elements. Well, actually... A third, I mean a fourth element of Augsburg's is forgiveness as an act of the will. To forgive another is a commandment. The failure of the offender to repent does not release the offended from the obligation to forgive. If this was a round table, I'd like to ask for your opinion on that. The failure of the offender to ask for forgiveness does not release you from the obligation to forgive. I want to add two more points. Number five, the goal of forgiveness is full reconciliation. Church, that's not an option. Recon reconciliation will be hard too, and it might take time, but it's not an option. We are commanded to reconcile. Jesus says in Matthew, 25, I mean Matthew 5, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Are you responsible for how they respond to your attempt to reconcile? No. But you're responsible to try to reconcile. Six point forgiveness could include, if it, is in within, if it is within your power, but not enacting a punishment. Let me read that again. Forgiveness could include, if it is within your power, not enacting a punishment. Think of it this way, God has paid your debt with his own funds. God has caught you red-handed and chose to let you free. God, in a sense, walked down your death row and opened the door and let you go. And God says, forgive one another. We're going to take a short walk through Matthew chapter 18. A very well-known parable 
of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. I like what Adam Clark says. He says, every sin is a debt contracted with the justice of God. <laughs> that, is, that is a great statement. Every sin is a debt contracted with the justice of God. People, God is going to settle an account with us. And that account will be between Him and us. And that account that we will settle with God might be an account that had to, be, had to do with me and someone else. But we will settle that account. Verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now that's millions of dollars, and Jesus is exaggerating you know, to make a point. And so let's just call that $10 million, okay? It could never be repaid. This is an eternal debt that the man owed the master. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, right? Well, who could pay an eternal debt? Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. And his wife and children and all that he had... The payment had to be made. This was actually a practice. If somebody was in debt and they couldn't pay, the creditor, the person owed the money, could go to the magistrate and have the person put in prison, the family enslaved, until the debt is paid. Nehemiah chapter 5, you can actually read an account where Nehemiah was angry that his fellow Jews were doing this very thing to other Jews. So Jesus is, is talking about a very familiar practice. Verse 26, So the servant fell on his knees imploring him. One commentator says he was like a crouched dog. <laughs> Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. The law required payment. If the payment could not be made, there was a consequence, jail, family torn apart. But the king had the authority to forgive the debt. And that's what the king does. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. That ought to be a bumper sticker. Verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's maybe a day's wages. Let's just call it a dollar. I want you to grasp the, the significance. 10,000 talents to 100 denarii. 10 million dollars to a dollar. Eternal debt to a temporal debt. And seizing him, he, be, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Look at verse 35. So also will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart? Shall 
shame on the servant who could not forgive. The vast majority of us in this room have pleaded for God's mercy. Can any of us say God has not forgiven us of our sins? We have been forgiven of what amounts to an eternal debt. Forgive one another, the Bible says. We have a Kairos moment at this time in our church. We have a moment of opportunity to walk through this and to see a beautiful thing that God will do for us. Maybe there's a Kairos moment in your life right now with something that you have refused to forgive because that person has not asked for forgiveness or they still owe you something. That's got nothing to do with your obligation to forgive. This is a Kairos moment. Seize it. After the war, Corey, Corey Ten Boom set up a home in Holland where she took in people battling to get over the war. And she ministered to them and nursed them and helped them so that they re could recover and leave the home. And she actually writes this about those who could never get over the hurt of the war. She writes this, Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. Are you a spiritual invalid? Because you've refused to forgive someone. So let's go back to that meeting in Munich. The Nazi God is holding out his hand. Corey's struggling. But she knows and she's saying in a book and she's writing in a book. By the way, this comes from a book called The Hiding Place. It's an old classic in Christian literature. And she's going through this internal turmoil. And the God's holding out his hand. She says this, And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raised down my arm, sprang into, my joined, into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. Wow. None of us can identify with that. Nazi guard to prison inmate. Prison inmate to Nazi guard. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former God and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. A Kairos moment that Corey seized. I'm going to close our service with us reciting the Lord's Prayer. Because there's a line in that prayer that I want you to pray out and I want you to mean it. But I warn you, if you don't mean it, don't say it. I mean you. I mean it. And then we're going to be done. If you need to come up to the altar and pray, that's fine. If you need to go and find someone and talk to them, do that. 
but a closing prayer. The words are going to be on the screen. I want you to follow me because I'm going to pause after each line and just allow the Lord to minister to us. But these are Jesus' own words that he taught us to pray. So let's stand together and we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. Follow me, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Can you say? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Randy, please lead us. Let's stay standing and offer this worship to the Lord to solidify what we've heard. Convict our hearts, Lord. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted.
that bridge one more time and believe it when you sing it. You are my Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you are my King. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your amazing love. Yes, Lord. Thank you for your amazing love and your amazing grace and your forgiveness. Thank you for showing us the way leading us, modeling what, what forgiveness is and what it looks like and what we need to be doing in our own lives. As I was reflecting this week, Lord, I remembered that conviction predicates anything. So Lord, I pray for conviction, uh, not only for us, but for those who have offended us. And Lord, that we would all operate as the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the sacred divine transaction that sets us free. That is forgiveness. Give you praise and thanks, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing and for what you will do. We submit and surrender to you. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you, church. God bless. <laughs>